Do you remember the song, uh, I Did It My Way? Do you remember that? Want to sing it? No. No, no, no. Frank Sinatra, you recall. A magnificent, talented singer, and the song was quite well known. And it might have been palatable to the ear, beautiful song, but it's not a beautiful approach uh, to God. I did it my way. If that is to be your approach, then I'm glad you're here tonight because the writer of Hebrews, the book we've been sitting under for some months, we're calling it the letter of better. Uh, this writer of Hebrews in the letter of better wants us to know that God's way to win his approval and to be rightly related with him, his way is far better than our way. We'll look at this in one verse tonight, but before we do, let me give you a little background by way of a story. It's true. It's found in Genesis chapter 4. There were, uh, was Adam and Eve, as you know, first people, and they produced a son whose name was Cain, and then another uh, whose name was Abel. So Cain was the elder brother of Abel. They were different in many respects. Uh, they chose different directions in life. One, uh, Abel, uh, a shepherd. Cain a, uh, had an agricultural bent. He was a farmer. Although different, they had a few things in common. They both recognized the existence of a creator. They knew God, and they knew they owed him a debt. And so they both offered to God sacrifices. They rendered sacrifices to God. And this is a little bit of a surprise. I'm sure it was to them. Um, Abel's sacrifice met with God's approval, but this was not true of Cain's. Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable to God, though Abel's was. Well, this really affected Cain in a negative way. In fact, the text says not only that he was angry, but his countenance fell. In other words, he was depressed by the whole thing, you see. God, knowing all things, even this flurry of emotion, intervened and said, Cain, uh, this ought to be the focus of your attention, this matter of sin. In so many words, God said, Cain, do you recognize it to be a reality in your life? It has a desire, if you will, to control you, but you must gain mastery over it. What a good and loving word of warning, but it was not heeded, as you know, by Cain. So there came a day, and I imagine no one was in the locale except Cain and his brother Abel on this day, the older brother who should have been safe and trustworthy and counted on to protect the younger. Well, that wasn't the case. And so Cain... Uh, in a fit of rage, turned upon his younger brother, Abel. I'm sure this was a horrific a surprise to Abel, and he killed him. And therein is the record of the first death in the Bible, that is to say, the first death uh, by murder. 
And so God, who sees and knows all things, uh, called to Cain and said, uh, Cain, where is your brother? God was not on a quest for information. Whenever God asks a question, it's not because he lacks information. It's an opportunity for the one being questioned to answer. And in this case, it was an opportunity even at this point for Cain to repent, but he did not. He said to God, I don't know of Abel's whereabouts. After all, and you know this famous retort, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Your brother's blood, it's plural in Hebrew, to intensify the seriousness of the crime. Your brother's blood cries, it's a present tense, cries continuously and without end from the ground to my ear. So that was the horrific story recorded for us down to this very day in Genesis 4, and it provides the backdrop for the singular verse I'd like to call our attention to tonight in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. The writer writes there, by faith. And so the context, as you know, is that the writer is addressing a mixed audience of those who are redeemed and those who only profess to be. And those who only professed to be, they were Jews, were on the verge of retreating back into Judaism because it was a time of oppression and persecution of those who identified with Jesus as Messiah. And these who only professed Christ began to see the benefits were outweighed by the liabilities. Let's go back under Judaism, you see. And so the writer of Hebrews is trying to warn them, do not do that. Live instead by faith. Do not live by what your eyes tell you to be true. Live by faith, which he, by implication in prior verses, defined as confidence in what God has declared to be true, both about the past and the present and even future hope. He's essentially saying you're right to evaluate the situation and see the masses turning against those who identify with the way. Jesus is the way. But please remember the promises God made to you of provision and protection and sustenance and that he can use all things for the good. How could you turn your back on him, he who has words of eternal life, all of which he promised to you? Put your faith in the declared word of God rather than even in what your eyes tell you to be true. So that's the context. And to bolster up his argument, now he gives us, we call this the faith honor roll, a delineation of diversified people, men and women from all different strata of life who had one thing in common. They won God's favor, not by virtue, but by faith. And so you see these first two words, by faith. Abel now is the first example of someone who lived by faith. By faith, the text says, Abel did something. What was it? He offered to God a sacrifice, not just any. Its character, I suppose, was such that it proved to be a better sacrifice from God's point of view than did Cain's, which leads to this question, why 
Was it distinguished as being better than Cain's offering? Why was Abel's acceptable and Cain's not? Now, we'll get there in just a second. But first, I want you to notice how important it is that we figure out why Abel's offering to God was acceptable. Here's why. Because on the basis of it, God declared, it says right there, God's testimony about him. This is God's declaration about Abel. He was righteous. If you're an honest person, you want that pronouncement to be made upon you by God too. You are righteous in my eyes. This is not your self-designation. I declare you to be righteous, to be in right standing with me. I'm telling you, that declaration in terms of eternity would be worth more than anything imaginable. All of us, if we're honest, know we owe a debt to a God we have to make do with. Can you imagine if in spite of our misdeeds, sin, still this otherwise unapproachably holy deity would be moved for some reason on the basis of something we offer him to say, in spite of you, I see you to be rightly related to me. So I'm all ears, folks. I want to know the basis upon which God made that pronouncement to Abel. Now, here are the two theories, major theories, about why Abel's offering was acceptable and Cain's was not. One school of thought says it had to do with the nature of the offering. Cain's was without blood. It was fruits and vegetables. Abel's was with blood. A bloodless offering, uh, these folks would say, is not acceptable to God. Therefore, Abel's was acceptable he sacrificed a, a, an animal, shed its blood. This met with God's approval, but not Cain's. So some would say the basis of the acceptability is the offering. Others would say not true. It's the offeror, the one making the offering. And they would say it had to do with Abel's heart in contradistinction from Cain's. Cain's was just going through the religious obligatory motions. He had no heart for God. He wasn't devoted at all. He didn't humble himself before God. But Abel, on the other hand, rendered his offering by faith. Therefore, the heart attitude of the one bringing the offer is what earned him God's designation of righteousness. So which is it? You know, folks... Sometimes I think we Christians have too much time on our hands. We fight over stuff like that. You know what the answer is? It's both. It's both. By faith, surely that was a hard attitude of the one making the offering. He offered what God required. It's both. That's why it says back in Genesis 4 that both Abel and his offering were acceptable to God. Well, how could I say that Abel offered to God by faith what God required? Where does it say in Genesis what God required? So let me tell you another story. This time it's in Genesis 3. You have Adam and Eve again. They have everything. They can't blame 
their, their fate on a uh, disadvantaged environment. For crying out loud, they're in paradise. They're in the Garden of Eden. They lack for nothing. God gives them one guideline, commandment. You can eat from any tree, but not this one. For in the day that you do, you shall surely die. That's it. Under the best of circumstances, before there was, was such a thing called dysfunctional family, uh, before there was environmental pollution and all the rest, under the best of circumstances, and one commandment, they revealed the nature which we all possess, and that is a nature inclining us to disobey God. He said, don't do this. If you do, you'll die. Well, enter another player in the uh, image of a serpent. It's Satan, the deceiver. And Satan said, has God said, you shall not eat from this tree, uh, uh, and so on and so forth. And Eve said, yes, you shall not eat from it nor touch it. Did God say they couldn't touch it? No. They could have built a treehouse in it if they wanted to. This is just humankind making God's requirements more weighty than they in fact are. Anyway, Satan said, you will not die. God said, you will. Satan said, you won't. Well, they took a look at this fruit, and it appealed to their eyes, their senses. What God said made no sense, so they determined to violate the singular commandment of God. They partook and immediately knew that they were naked. Even without a Baptist preacher in the garden, somehow they managed to feel guilty, legitimately so. They knew they were vulnerable to a holy God. He said to them, where are you? By the way, that is the first question in the Bible. Did you know that? Not who are you? Today we're on a quest for self-esteem and all the rest. It's a mad, vain quest. The first, most fundamental question is where are you? If you are rightly related to the God who made you, you will feel good about yourself. <laughs> if you're trying to feel good about yourself, but you're not in good standing with God, you will not succeed. Where are you? And will uh, uh, we, uh, we, 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 they were hiding amongst the trees of the garden that God made. They were hiding in God's world. We were afraid. We heard you. And so we were afraid. So what did they do? They tried to cover up for their nakedness by fashioning for themselves an apron of leaves. That's the first religion. Uh, a, a religion acknowledges God, but refuses God's means of redemption. That's what man-made religion does. Religion says, I know you're there, but I will get to you my way. I'll do it my way. So on my own initiative, so that I can brag about it, I will atone for, make a covering for my sin through an apron of leaves, which I will brag and boast about. And then as you get to verse 21 of chapter 3, we read an unusual thing. It says God clothed Adam and Eve with the skins of an animal. And so Adam and Eve learned a few things. One, 
they sin. Two, God sees and judges. Three, they cannot cover up for their own sin. Four, God will because he is gracious. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, is the beginning of God taking the initiative graciously in providing for the shed blood of an innocent living thing in place of the guilty ones. So I'll tell you this uh, incident. I've shared this a few times, so forgive me if, if I'm doing it again. Uh, when I was in the military a million years ago, I got a call one day from a chaplain who identified himself as Rabbi so-and-so. I won't mention his last name. He said, Rothberg, uh, my name is Rabbi so-and-so. I'm a chaplain here, and I've looked up the names of all the Jewish personnel here on this installation, and apparently Rothberg didn't sound very Irish to him. And so uh, 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 he called me. He said, my wife and I want to invite all the Jewish personnel to our home. You say, man, what kind of home did they have? Must be big. No. How many Jews are in the military? Like three? So, so, so uh, uh, I say, well, Rabbi, that is very gracious of you and your wife. But uh, I, I, I think it's a matter of conscience that I ought to tell you uh, I'm not sure you really want me to come. He said, uh, why not? But it's just something about me. He said, what are you, a thief or something? No, 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 nothing, nothing like that. What is it about you? I say, you know, Reverend, it's so personal. I would like to share this with you face to face. So could I make an appointment to see you? He said, yes, and we did. And I went, and I shared my testimony. I told him that the Messiah our people look for came. And we missed him because he came first to suffer and die. And we're looking for a king. He'll come later as the king first to suffer and die in our place. And uh, I shared that with him. And I said, Rabbi, what do you think? He said, I think you're right. I don't ever want you coming to my house. <laughs> That's what he said. That's what he said to me. I said, look, I'm sorry you feel that way, but... Uh, as a matter of integrity, I'm glad we had this discussion. That was it. I took leave of him. A week later, I get a call. Rothberg, Rabbi so-and-so, I need you down in my office right away. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, he is going to shoot me. <laughs> so I went to his office, and he said, Rothberg, he's pacing up and down. I uh, was discussing your case with other rabbis. <laughs> And they told me uh, I blew it with you and that uh, you've been deceived and deluded. <clears throat> My responsibility should have been not to separate from you, but to point out to you how blind and uh, distorted your thinking is so that you can come back to the fold. And uh, Therefore, uh, we're going to get together and study, says he, so that I can clear up all this stuff and free you from this, whatever it is you're into. So I said, Rabbi, that, that I'm open. That'll be good. He said, uh, why do you want to study? He says to me. I said, well, Rabbi, <laughs> I say it would be good. I, I said, Rabbi, look, we disagree about a lot of things, but one thing we agree upon is that the Tanakh 
Old Testament is the word of God. Let's study the Tanakh, okay? All right. So we make an appointment. We get together. Where do you want to study in the Tanakh? Why don't we start with Bereshit, first book of the Bible? Genesis. Okay, says he. We met together 12 times to pour over the scriptures. And when we got to Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, I told him, Rabbi, can you see? Uh, our forebears sinned and couldn't cover up for it. They blamed each other. They hid. They took the matter into their own hands, but it was only by God's grace that their nakedness was covered, was atoned for. See the skins of an animal. He said, wait right here. And he gets up and he goes to another room again. I, I'm thinking it's gun time. He's, he's, it's, it's over. And he brings a book, a commentary, because we Jews put the Bible on the same level as the word of, of our sages. In other words, the word of man is on the same level as the word of God. That's all man-made religion, by the way. It may be an amalgam of scripture, but along with the word of men. I won't mention other religions because it's Christmas time and we should be nice to one another. I'll just use mine. So he uses the commentaries. And the word of men said, no animal died in Genesis 3.21. It was the kind of an animal that had wool. And God just sheared it and covered them with the wool. But there was no death whatsoever. I said, Rabbi, with all due respect, the fact that our sages would have taken such pains even to address this issue only reinforces its truth to me. And I said, Rabbi, that's wrong. As you look to the rest of Torah, this is the beginning of animal sacrifice, a very Jewish thing provided by God for the remission of sin and leading to the sacrifice of the ultimate lamb of God, who is Yeshua, our Messiah. That's it. And so that was it. I never saw him again. He threw me out. He said, you're too deceived. I pr I've prayed for him. Uh, uh, I don't know what happened to him or anything like that. I still pray for him. And um, uh, My point is, Genesis 3.21 is so powerful. <laughs> it's the first verse of the Bible that shows us God's willingness to provide a covering through the death of an innocent living thing in our place. It's the beginning, it's the beginning of all Old Testament sacrifice brought to a grand and glorious end when the ultimate lamb, the lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, suffered and died in our, uh, in our place on a cross and said, paid in full, it is finished. Remember the veil of the temple was torn asunder from top to bottom as if God was saying all that religious stuff that said, keep your distance, that's over. Because Jesus said, come near through the blood of the cross. He made the way. So, folks, what Abel did was acceptable to God because Abel offered to God what his parents understood. You have Adam and Eve. There's not a whole lot of people around. They don't have TV and computers. They're talking. 
I'll bet you anything Adam and Eve imparted to their children the means by which their sin would be atoned for. Do you think they kept it secret? They figured out they have the sin nature. They figured out God sees and judges. They figured out they can't do anything about it. They figured out God graciously will provide a covering for their sin. If you don't think they imparted that to both Cain and Abel, you are wrong. They clearly told them it has to be the blood of a lamb. It has to be the blood of a lamb. You lay your hands on it, and you say in so many words, Oh, God, this innocent being is offered to you in my place for the remission of my sins. And if you do this by faith, it's not something of blind faith. It's faith in what God said he requires. If you do this by faith, God will accept it and pronounce upon you a new status. He will call you righteous. He will say you are in right standing, not because you're living rightly necessarily, but because by faith, faith, you accepted the means by which he said, I will grant you approval and acceptance. But Cain did not do this, did he? You know what Cain did? Cain said, uh, you know that blood stuff? Gruesome. It smells, it stains. You get killing an animal? What? Like with a knife, it's throat, it's, you got to hold it down, it's making noise, it's, it's, it's grotesque. How about a fruit basket, God? How about, it's Christmas time, are you giving anyone a fruit? You know, you see, they're beautiful, you see these things, they're beautiful. I think Cain said, how about some, you know, like fruits and vegetables, the blood thing. I know you said that. I know you require that, but it just doesn't appeal to my sensibilities. I'll do it my way. And God said it won't work. Why? What he required without formality and regulation in Genesis, he formalized in Leviticus later. Remember when he said to Moses, tell the people this, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Folks, you and I are not lasting very long if blood pours out. We know this to be biologically true. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And God says, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement covering for your souls. Why? For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Leviticus 17, 11 but introduced way back in Genesis. Abel said, I don't understand it. It doesn't appeal to my sense of reason nor sensibilities. I don't get it, but by faith, I will do as you say. An example, don't you see a biblical faith? Not blind faith, not faith in our words, faith in the words of the creator. Oh God, you made it known to my parents that any sense of self-righteousness or self-effort to cover up for sin will fall short. It'll be the basis of pride and arrogance. It cannot be this way. But God said, this I will accept. I will accept a life for your life. And Abel said, though I don't fully comprehend all the ramifications of this, I'm not going to do it my way. I'm going to do it your way. And God said, on that basis, 
you are righteous. Don't you see? Nothing has changed. Even today, redemption, justification, salvation is by faith through God's grace in the blood of the ultimate Lamb of God. His name is Jesus the Christ. So valued is that sacrifice by God that it is devalued by those who don't want God's way. Do you notice the first person whose faith was recorded in the Bible is also the first one who was murdered? Don't you see self-righteousness wants to extinguish grace? Law, human effort, wants to extinguish grace. Cain couldn't stand the fact that his brother, his younger brother, no seniority, less life experience, was fully accepted in the eyes of Almighty God, but not on the basis of his own righteousness, on the basis of his offering, which God required by faith. Cain couldn't stand it. We may think atheists are our biggest foes. No, they're not. It's religious people. Cain was not an atheist. Cain believed in God to such extent that he brought God an offering. But though he believed in God, he rejected God's means of salvation. That's religion down to this very day. There is not one that's different than what I just told you. Every religion says there is deity, and this is the way you get to him. Human effort, humanitarian deeds, religious behavior, uh, things that persuade you you're not as bad as God says you are. Human religion in place of God's provision. So the first manifestation of faith met with the first murderous intention to extinguish the fire. But it didn't work because verse 4 says of God, he testified of Abel's gifts and through faith, though he, Abel, is dead, he still speaks. How could that be that death does not have the final word? Don't you see? When we come to God, God's way. The benefits are eternal. This one suffered premature death by homicide. He was murdered. This one did not live a long and happy life. From a human perspective, we would say Cain was the success. Abel was the failure. Abel produced no children. Cain the rest of Genesis tells us, went on to produce children. Cities were named after them. He fathered many children, had grandchildren, lived to a ripe old age. We would say Cain was successful in living life, but Abel was the failure. Actually, the opposite is true. Folks, to put one's faith as a result of the grace of God in God's provided means of atonement, even if it meets with the death of your body, is worth it rather than doing things your way, meeting with the rejection of God, and experiencing the eternal dying of your soul. 
if you and I as Christians think we accept Christ for the benefits which will accrue to our account only this side of heaven, we may be sorely disappointed because many of our faith family members have suffered at the hands of grace killers and still are today severe persecution even unto death. But the benefits of faith in God's bloody provision for sin go way beyond the time when our physical body is extinguished. There is a time when God will judge all those who are grace killers. Your brother's bloods cry out to me from the ground. He will judge. But then he ushers into his kingdom those who by faith have said, Oh God, I don't want to try to live up to your standards my way. Why do I want a do-it-yourself means of salvation when you have offered for me a done-for-you means of salvation? Why do I want to try to climb up to your level of holiness in my own efforts when in fact you stooped by coming down in your enfleshed son burst as a non-threatening baby in Bethlehem so as to reach me where I am. The song, I'll do it my way, may be lyrically and musically palatable to the ear, but it's a stench in the nostrils of the God of all grace who said, though your way may meet with a life that looks fulfilled by world standards, it will end in the death of your eternal soul. But no matter may, what may be your fate in this life, if you accept my means of forgiveness of sin, no matter what may come your way, I assure you there's an eternal reality beyond the grave exemplified by Abel, who though cut down horribly at a young age still has a voice that speaks out about the benefits of faith to the family of faith, even to this very day. Folks, I never liked Christmas. We Jews are not really into it. But things changed when I met the Jewish Messiah. I love the Christmas season. I fight like you to avoid the distractions thereof. But I love the opportunity to remember the birth of a God who otherwise has no beginning nor end that we may, as a result of his substitutionary death on a cross, live forevermore. Could I beseech you? Any day is a good day for salvation, but I can't think of a better season of the year than Christmas season to say, oh God, I'm ready to surrender. Not my way. I'm persuaded by the writer of Hebrews. Your way to you is better than my way. I accept you, Lord Jesus, and the horrific price you paid through blood in my place for my sin, you having none of your own. Come into my life. Change me. Let me have a voice even beyond the grave just like Abel.
there's an opportunity we give you, we do all the time when we meet, uh, to visit with some of our most wonderful folks in the Connection Center. Beautiful, well-decorated room right back this way, where privately and in a non-threatening way, we would be so pleased to engage you in conversation about the Lamb of God offered for you and for me. Lord Jesus, it's in your name we bow and gather and worship and rejoice. And words seem so limited at a time such as this, but we thank you for your inexpressible gift, your own dying in order to affect our eternal living. Oh God, in spite of circumstances around us, we are filled with joy and peace and all the fruit of a relationship with you, none of which we could have through our own means. You tell us, for all of us have sinned and have fallen far short of your standards. Not even the most religious is in any way redeemed. There's only redemption through the Lamb. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being born so as to die and then for rising up from the grave so as to be the first fruits of resurrection, meaning by faith we who believe in your name will follow. I pray, oh God, you would receive this Christmas what you want more than anything else, more family members. So, Savior, we pray that you might do the work of salvation even in the lives of those tonight who stand in need of it. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.